Welcome to the Church CIO Podcast, a production of Solertia, the trusted IT partner providing standardised, worry-free IT services and solutions. This podcast is for the Church and for anyone else who can benefit as we discuss, advise and review technology for today's Church. Welcome to the Church CIO Podcast. You're here with Nick Morgan and Brad McElwain. Brad, how are you doing? Doing well, Nick. Thank you. Yeah, I'm doing well too. I uh, I'm calling in from a very very cold 20 degree uh, day and enjoying the day. Actually, have hope that it will warm up because we have a spicy topic today. A lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast are intellectual. They are headspace sort of things, but this one has intrigue. It has mystery. It's the subject of movies. This stuff that we're going to talk about today is exciting. And I think things are going to heat up. I agree. We're talking about that email that you probably got last week, maybe even today. It says you need to click on this link because your pastor needs to you to make a gift. And the only way they'll receive the gifts is if you buy a gift card. And you wonder, why does my pastor keep asking me for so many gift cards. We're going to talk about that today. Yeah. And I clicked on it and it didn't go well for me. (laughs) Well, it's not just us talking. We have a couple of very esteemed panelists that we're excited to introduce here in just a minute. But just going back through why we exist, Brad, the Church CIO podcast exists to make these Uh, difficult uh, topics accessible for the church. Our goal in this podcast is to give practical advice for the church to improve so that we can all do a better job of our mission, right? And these kind of things that we're talking about today, ransomware, are exactly those things that can throw us off our mission for a long time. They can send send us in a tailspin. And so I'm excited to learn what we can do. So who do we have helping us figure that out today, Brad? Yeah, so we have Mark and Eric. So Mark and I have worked together for several years now uh, through several different organizations. And so Mark is a cybersecurity expert. Um, He manages infrastructure across not only uh, our customers, but also many, many others. Um, He's been doing it for a long time and and he'll share more about that in a moment, but I've appreciated um, just getting smarter just by being associated with Mark these past few years. And then Mark uh, helped connect me and us with with No Before, which is where Eric joins us from. And so No Before is an organization that specializes in helping mitigate the risk around the topic we're talking about today. And so Eric is a security awareness advocate and he just knows the topic that we're discussing super well and and it's worked with countless individuals and organizations on on helping to be better prepared. Well, we're excited to have Mark and Eric here. Uh, Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, why you're an expert in this area? Sure. Thank you for having me today. I got my first computer when I was quite young at uh, eight and nine years old, just turning nine when I received that. And I was just hooked on it immediately. And I was enamorated with all of the different aspects that came with the computer. And the computer, as soon as I connected it uh, to a phone modem, that changed my world quite dramatically. I was now was accessible to other phones and other systems. And 
immediately began my hacking career at a young age. I didn't, I was very, very young, of course, and starting to compile code and looking at source code and backends and backdoors and programs and operating systems. But more importantly, I looked at other systems and started hacking all across North America quite successfully, uh, getting into military bases by the time I was 13. Uh, by the Once I get into a military base, you may not know this, but uh, that those lines are no longer traceable. So I use those lines to jump from military base to military base to start hacking other areas of the world, other countries in Europe and Germany and France and Greece and everywhere that had a phone line attached to a computer. I was quite successful at that. Uh, continued that route until I was about 16, things started getting a little bit more dark. I started getting in and infiltrating and getting getting credit card information and sharing credit card information and started recognizing that this was going in a real in a real bad way, but was still very prideful at my success at this at this feat. So one day I was at church and I was bragging about uh, this, my uh, kind of my hacking ability among some peers and and being very prideful in that. And, I, and a woman by the name of Josephine held me very accountable and asked me a question. She said, why do you think God wired you that way? And, and there was a little bit of a pause. And then she asked me, do you think he wired you that way to be a thief in the night? And that was hard for me to hear. Not only was it hard for me to hear amongst my peers and the awkwardness and the embarrassment, but a very, a very tough conviction on my heart uh, because I recognized that I didn't design myself and that there was a creator and uh, didn't, can't take ownership over those abilities. So it was a great question to hear and a very pertinent question because at the time I was on the FBI watch list and I was very close to being an adult. And I had a, it was a great chance for me to make a decision. The current trajectory was was going to put me uh, behind bars, uh, probably very within one to two years. Um, wow. So the timing of that was fantastic. And I was able to switch gears. And I started my first company the day I turned 18 years old and began hardening those organizations and switched that black hat to a white hat. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, Mark, the people on the podcast cannot see this, but you do not have bars in front of your face as I'm looking at you on this Zoom call. So so something Joseph Eden said to you changed your life and changed your trajectory. Absolutely. And later, about one year later, uh, one of my friends who was very much in that by the name of Chad uh, did not change his trajectory. And he came home from school one day and there was a van out front. Immediately he was put in handcuffs. Uh, his computer was seized and he wasn't allowed to own a computer for seven years from that jurisdiction. So him and I were on the same path for a while there. And it was very, it was great to see, it was sad to see him get in trouble, but at the same sense, it was great to see that I had changed my path. And I was very thankful for Josephine's uh, convicting question that day. Wow. Well, we're excited to have you here. We're going to go through a few questions, which I'll introduce in a minute. But before we do that, Eric, tell us about yourself and and why you're an expert in this space today. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So um, I, I've been in IT and security for a long time myself, too. I think back in the 1990s is where I really got into it. I did have a computer as a kid, and I actually... Uh, uh, talked my parents into letting me do my math homework on the computer. And they were like, yeah, 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 whatever. But if you can show your work and show that you know how to do it, you're fine. And so I actually had it print that out on the old rolling thermal paper, if you remember. And that was the last time I, my parents and teachers ever let me get away with that little stunt. But, you know, fast forward a few years, um, did some time in the Navy and uh, got out and got into IT and security. And uh, so throughout my career, I've worked in a lot of different areas, manufacturing. I've worked in medical space. 
Um, I was the security manager at the U.S. Army's Second Regional Cyber Center Western Hemisphere, which sounds super impressive until you have to answer the phone like that every time, right? Um, but, you know, I, I've moved on throughout this. And, and now what I get to do is I get to take all of these years of experience that I have and share it with people, um, which I think is fantastic. So as a technical guy, I get to share with people. I don't have to sell things. I don't have to do any of that. It's just sharing the things that I've learned through my mistakes over the years and in the hopes that people learn from what I did wrong. Yeah, I appreciate that, Eric. And sharing's the goal of this podcast, right? Uh, you guys are both highly credentialed. We appreciate your time. We're very thankful to have you here. We're kind of intrigued that you're both former deviants, but uh, reformed and doing good work now. So uh, let's let's get into it. How can you help the church? We're going to ask you a few questions and kind of lead you through this. What is ransomware? How does one get it? How does it get into our system? Uh, why does this matter to churches? And what are some steps that we can take to improve our security against these intrusions? So Brad, feel free to jump in here too, but let me pose this to our panel. What is ransomware? When we talk about that concept, what are we referring to? Ransomware is, is uh, gosh, it's changed a great deal over the years. It's the, 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 one of the most painful things, just think of someone who would uh, steal your bike, you know, and, and wants, doesn't want to give you your bike back until you give them $5. And you're like, well, why are you ransoming my bike? This is the same thing that's happening with technology. These organizations, these hackers, they're ransoming your intellectual property. They're ransoming your phones, your information, your pictures of your family that you find that are so dear to you that the data that is pertinent on your computer, they want to take it away from you and they want to make it not accessible to you. They want to make money on the process. And that's why this becomes a criminal process because they're ransoming your computer information, your own data against you for a price, and that price can vary from hundreds of thousands and thousands of dollars. I think, uh, Eric has, can you, you have some specific data around this that we can speak to, I believe, on the values that have changed over the years and how old this is. Can you speak to that? Yeah, certainly. And I like your analogy on the bike, but I'll add to that a little bit um, in that it's like they put their own lock on your bike also and then charge you to take their lock off, right? Because that's what they do. They encrypt your data. That's the key piece of this. And the first time we saw this actually hit the scene was way, way, way back in 1989. <clears throat> it was actually called the AIDS virus. And uh, that's because it, it was on floppy disks that they handed out on a medical conference uh, dealing with AIDS research. Um, and so people would take this, they'd, they'd you know, do whatever they did with the, the floppy when they got home. And then after 90 reboots, it would encrypt the file names on the computer. And you had to send like, I think it was 189 bucks to a PO box in Panama. Now this guy got busted. Okay, he did. He got in trouble. Um, and you didn't see much of that for a long time until something called cryptocurrency came along. Things like Bitcoin and Monero. Um, it's this kind of vapor currency that's out there that somehow has uh, value. But the trick is it's very easy to be able to, um, to, to break it down into small little pieces, launder it. It's very hard to track where the money is going. And so people get busted when they do ransom stuff at the point of exchanging either the item or receiving the money. And so now that's pretty much all out of the way now. So that's why ransomware has kind of gone where it has in these number of years. And, and now it's just exploded. Um, but some of the costs that they have up there, 
Um, let's see. I'm doing this off the top of my head, so forgive me if I'm a few bucks off. But I think Sofo said the average cost of a ransomware attack was like $133,000, okay? But what we also found is a couple of big differences. Um, since this year, things have grown a lot. A group called Coveware did something in first quarter. They did a research. And the average, just the ransom demand itself is up to $111,000 for just the ransom demand. And if you go back to 2018, in the beginning of that, the ransom demand was only like $6,000. So if you get the idea how big it's jumping there. Um, and I've seen ransoms um, requested in the millions of dollars now. So it's getting actually uh, just absolutely ridiculous. And the key thing about ransomware is it doesn't matter how big you are or how small your organization is. It, you don't have to be a big player for that because you're willing to pay to get your data back so you can do your business. And, and so people misunderstand that quite a bit. That's, that's one of the real dangers of ransomware is underestimating who they may be targeting. Absolutely. The, so there's one, that, one thing I would add to that is there this, there's a, there seem to be some questions around this currency structure. These currencies are actually anonymous based currencies. So it's not like the currencies that we're used to in the USA where they're tied to a social security number. So that's why this is um, more, that's why this is more successful because we can't track it as easily. Great. So speaking of tracking and and access and exchange, how does this get into our systems? We like to assume, and we're speaking to a church audience, but we like to assume that churches are never the target of illicit action. So how would this get into a church? 87% of these trans, of this success rate comes in through an email process. And this is why we're speaking so specifically about some of these email tools today uh, to better educate and awareness sides of our user communities so that they can see this inbound. It looks uh, just like our CIO information that comes to us. They're mimicking at a, at a perfect level and we need to increase our awareness level around it. When you think of the context of churches as well, um, whether it's staff or the member of the church or, or whatnot, uh, when they receive a communication uh, from the pastor that says, I need help or so-and-so needs help, click this, support this cause, what have you. Um, more often than not, particularly in a medium to larger sized church, they may not receive many communications from this senior pastor, um, but they recognize the name and it comes with authority and a good portion of the congregation is going to receive it at face value and trust and then take action. And if they're an individual, uh, they're putting themselves at risk. And if they're on staff, they're putting their organization, their church, um, either either the server assets themselves, or it, there might be a, a, a church person listening today that says, "Well, we don't we don't have servers anymore. We're we're a, a very light church. We just use Office 365 or, or Microsoft 365 or Google Suites." And and when you're talking about those tools, it's about the exposure. Um, it comes in the same way, but then you have data leaks from that perspective. So it's. I know Eric has a lot of information around like the psychology of these types of attacks and, and they play off of uh, your, your inability to process some of these things uh, quickly when you receive them. Yeah, Brad, you're, you're right on with that. Um, things that come from the, you know, like the lead pastor or something or an organization's a CEO, executive director, whatever, 
um, they come in and there is an emotional response to that, right? So this is a person of authority. And these types of attacks, it's called social engineering, and, and it's a fascinating subject, but it's basically taking the human factor and, and leveraging that. So you get someone from of authority saying, I need you to do this, and there is an emotional component to that. And that kind of drives us to not want to push back to, uh, you know, all of these different things that we do as humans. And then we end up opening that infected document or clicking that link, like you mentioned, you know, those are some of the key ways that it happens. Um, and it's always a sense of urgency. There's always something along those lines that's driving people do this now so that they just click the link or open the document and enable macros. And then it's a bad day. Yeah, I, I, I think we understand the dilemma, right? Because a position of authority is approaching me and making a request. So I have a decision point, right? I can either refuse to entertain the notion that someone in authority needs something of me and disregard them potentially to my detriment, or I can go ahead and click through to find out what the issue is potentially to my detriment. So, okay, that's the dilemma. And it, it's not when I open the email, it's when I click further through the process, is that correct? Okay, and typ typically through a hyperlink or document? That's correct, correct, Nick. We see a, a pattern that comes in many different forms. Sometimes we'll see two and three different, different mechanisms in one message. So it's uh, very common for them to see uh, something that is uh, very shiny. Uh, you know, it's fourth quarter, you're gonna get a bonus, uh, tax break, uh, you know, COVID, something super important about COVID. So things that are very shiny and flashy and. Eric has some tools around that user awareness, what we call sometimes the human firewall condition that he could speak to there. Yeah, great. Set us up for that, Eric, because I can't avoid shiny things. So what can I do? <laughs> yeah, so the interesting thing about all this is, um, you know, technology does a great job of some things, but even the best like email filters that are out there still pass about seven to 10% of the emails through to the users. And now that doesn't, that seems like a very small number, but if you figure like earlier this year, Google was blocking over 18 million COVID related um, phishing emails per day of a hundred million per day, right? So that's seven to 10% can still be pretty sizable. So what you wanna do is you wanna help people be able to identify and report uh, these phishing emails. And the way I like to look at this is, it's kind of like a magic trick, right? Um, once you understand the magic trick, someone once someone has taught you how to do a magic trick, you can look at someone else doing it or you see it done again and you know, I know the mechanics behind that. Even if the little details change a little bit, you're like, okay, and this is where they tap you on the shoulder to make your attention go that way while they, you know, slip this under your watch or something like that, right? And that's what we want to try to do is help people understand the mechanics of that so that they can identify it. They see it and they go, you know, nice try folks, and then report it or delete it, move on. Yeah, excellent. That's good practical advice. So let me ask, let me put it this way. People are gonna be able to see your contact information, your company's products, you know, associated with this podcast. They're gonna be able to approach you for further information on all these sort of things. But if you could each give the church one necessary step, an action item to take today, what would that be? I would say be mindful. Be mindful as uh, everything that you look at that comes in before you open it, before you forward it, before you save it to your computer, before you click that shiny 
green link and blue link, whatever it's whatever's taking you uh, away from that, just be very mindful. Be be slow. Put your mouse over it and let it let the computer tell you what that map link is. That link, if it's going to .ru, most likely it's not something related to you. It's going to Russia. So be mindful of what the link says it is and look at the link and just just go be slow to it. I'm gonna cheat and, and give two things. Uh, one, don't ever buy a gift card because someone asked you over email. <laughs> and two, turn on two-step or multi-factor authentication. Um, because in so many cases, these sorts of phishing attempts are used to harvest credentials and, and determine what your username and password is. And so uh, this makes it more difficult if they also need some secondary token to be able to get into your whatever it is, G Suite. Um, all of the all the social media platforms, all the, the modern tools out there have what's called 2FA. So whatever the platform is, just look up two-step verification and, and get that set up. And you can do that today. Yep, absolutely. And if I was to give you a, you know, a tip or a trick, I, I say this. If you get a text message or an email or even a, a phone call sometimes that elicits a, a strong emotional response and it's like somebody you don't know, especially in phone calls, if you get that email or text message and it gives you a strong emotional response, take that deep breath, step away. Like Mark said, hover the links. Worst case scenario, pick up the phone and call that person that sent it on a known good number. Don't use the one that's in the email because they're wise to that, I'll tell you. Uh, but pick up that number and call them somewhere on the directory and say, hey, sir, ma'am, I just wanted to verify this. I know there's a lot of scams out there and just want to make sure for our safety. And generally speaking, people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, it's me. Or or you run into the, what are you talking about? And, and that's the key part right there. Yeah, that's great advice. Okay, so parting comments, you guys. I appreciate all the wisdom that's represented on this panel. I, I didn't follow any of the advice. I clicked on the thing. Is the damage done? Is there anything else I can do to mitigate this damage? A good password manager. Change your passwords. Set up a password manager. If you were exposed and hijacked by putting in your username and password, make sure that password's not used elsewhere. If it is, that needs to be changed on your everywhere you're using it, including your bank system, including your phone system, your email system, everything you use, change your passwords and set up a manager. Yep, and I'd say in the case of ransomware, once that screen pops up that says you need to pay us money, you're not getting your files back unless you restore them for something or you end up paying the ransom, unfortunately. Um, by that point in time, it's actually too late to stop anything from happening. Um, there's no easy way to break it. There's uh, very, very few times are they finding ways to do that without either restoring all of your data or paying the ransom. Okay, great. Well, we appreciate the words of wisdom and we appreciate the action steps. Uh, Brad, what do you think? It's great. Always helpful to talk with, with Mark and Eric. Appreciate your time. And, uh... and, and Brad, let, let me just ask you, are you going to change your password from one, two, three, four? Yes. This is every other month. I change it to four, three, two, one. Thank you. You got to keep it buried. You guys, keep Eric and Mark, we appreciate it. We are so much more secure now that it's four, three, two, one. Hey, that's a combo on my luggage. <laughs> <laughs>
If you would like to learn more about ways which Solertia can bring value and security to your IT environment, visit us at solertia.com.